Good to see you all here this morning, and it's a blessing to be here in the house of the Lord. Did everybody, when they came in, get a dollar? Did everyone, everyone, everyone get a dollar? Everyone, every, okay, good. If you didn't get it, our ushers, I think, have taken the less, rest of them and have gone to Vegas, but... Um, <laughs> But we, we hopefully, no, they didn't. Here they come with it. I, I'm just playing ushers. Uh, good to see you all with your dollar bills. Just hold on to those because you're going to need them, okay? It's going to be a show and tell sermon, all right? So good to see that you are paying attention. Our scripture text for the morning is a beautiful psalm text, one that I think many people truly love. It's Psalm 130. Nine. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I were to go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, The darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you or the night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you have created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you. I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would now number the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense, offensive way in me, and lead me in the way to everlasting. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Any rednecks around here? You know, any, any, there, there's some that admit it. How about that? Well, down where we just moved from, they're as thick as fleas on a hound dog that lays outside. You know, they, they are all over the place down there. there. There may not be that many up here. There's a couple over there that have admitted to it. But there may not be as many as there are down in, in Alabama. But there are a lot of them down there. But even if you've never met a redneck, even if they're not a lot around here that you have come in contact with, most everybody knows what a redneck's last words are, don't you? Hey, y'all, watch this. You know? Yeah, that's the truth. Now, redneck or no redneck, everybody 
in some form or fashion likes to be watched. Everyone likes to be noticed, don't they? Think about it when you were a kid. Get your mind back into that time frame. Remember when you may have been learning how to swim and you wanted to make sure your mom and dad saw you? You say, Mom, Mom, watch this. Or you're about to, to uh, go off a high dive or jump into the side of, off the side of the pool. Either you're going to do a dive or a cannonball or a belly flop, whatever you're about to do. You, you wanted to make sure mom and dad saw that, right? Maybe even just doing the dog paddle. You wanted to make sure that your mom or dad or someone that knew you and loved you was watching. Or how about being on the ball field? You, you want to make sure mom and dad was there or, or in the school play. You may have had the back row of the chorus, but you wanted to make sure mom and dad were there. You might even have waved at them while they're out there in, in the audience watching that play. Because, you see, we kids, when we were kids, wanted someone to notice, right? And for persons who did not have a mom and dad noticing them and watching them, well, it's kind of sad. And sometimes these adults spend the rest of their lives trying to find ways to be noticed, sometimes in very inappropriate ways. And as we grow older, we still want to be watched. Now, teenagers may not admit it, but they want a parent to be at that ball game. And if that parent isn't there, they know that mom, they notice when mom and dad aren't in the stands or when they're not out in the audience. Yeah, they may not admit it, but a teenager likes to have his or her parents there. Now, they don't want the parents to do anything too gross, like hug on them or say hi to them in front of friends, but they do want a parent there, don't they? Even as we grow older, we want people to notice and be aware of us, to watch us. When these students come back to, to college, they're, they're going to do all sorts of things to make sure that there's someone watching over them. They'll join fraternities or sororities. They'll get involved in something like the Wesley Foundation, a wonderful organization, by the way. They'll do all sorts of things to make sure that someone's watching over them. And, and even into adulthood. When we move to a new place, say, we want to make sure that someone notices us, right? Someone cares. Someone watches over us. Well, that's what today's psalm is all about. Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You watch my coming in and my going out. You know the words that are on my mouth before I even say them. You know all about me. And some of us are thinking right now, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. That before I've uttered a word, the Lord's aware of it. Before I even do a deed, God knows that I'm about to do it. And some of us, when we think about that, well, makes us be in a little fear and a little trembling, right? That someone has said that what heaven's going to be like is that when we get there, we're going to do nothing but watch reruns of people's lives. We're going to sit back and, and watch what people have done every, and what they think and what they have said. And some of y'all are thinking, I hope there's some very comfortable chairs because I've lived a mighty boring life, right? Now, let me say this. There's nothing in Scripture that backs that up. But what if it's true that everything that we've thought, everything that we've done, everything that we have said will be viewed by everybody? And you might be thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I sure don't want my mama to know about that. And you only maybe know what that is. 
Well, mama may not know, but God does. And for many of us, we back up and recoil in horror that the thought that God knows everything about me. We are in fear and trembling and we are ashamed. And this is just a part of who we are because from the very beginning, this is how humanity has reacted to our own waywardness. Look in the Garden of Eden. As soon as Adam and Eve took a bite of that apple, what did they do? They try to cover themselves up with fig leaves and they go and hide from the Lord God. Why? Because they are afraid and they are ashamed. They fear, you see, this Lord God who they have committed this sin against. They are worried and that they are fearful that this wrathful God knows all about them. And many of us are like that. We think about when God is, is coming to see us and know us and, and have an awareness of who we're all about. We think of God as wrathful and judgmental. My dad was an avid golfer. He wasn't a very good golfer. It's a gene he passed on to his sons, but he loved to golf. And one Christmas, he got a set of tea mugs or tea glasses that had on the funny cartoons about golfing. And one of them, I'll never forget, was a golfer that had hit a ball behind a bush. And he was using a foot wedge to move the ball. Does any of you all know what a foot wedge is? I can see see some of you all have attempted that. My foot wedge is a size nine and a half. And in the cartoon, as this guy's moving that golf ball behind the bush with his foot, there's a, a big cloud with the a picture of the Almighty about to send down a bolt of lightning that this judgment is going to come upon him. He's going to get struck by lightning because he is, well, maybe breaking the rules just a little bit. Any of you all that way? Thinking that God is going to judge you for everything that you have done is looking down on you with wrath looking down upon you and is going to strike you down because of what you have done. Many Americans and many people in our country feel this way. In a book called America's Four Gods, almost half of Americans think that God is judgmental, authoritative, and in some form or fashion are going to have to pay the price for what they have done. Now, don't get me wrong, judgment's there. We can talk about that at some point. But they think of this as the primary attribute of God. And it affects everything about themselves, according to these authors. Now, it's a great simplification of the point of the book. But that is what many of us think when we think about God. This judgmental, this wrathful God who sees all who we are and knows that. And we know somehow, some way that this God is angry with us. Those of us who have taken a literature class or religion course and read that sermon by Jonathan Edwards entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God have this burned within our souls that this God is up there and he is mad with us. And so many people believe that is what God is all about. But when we look at that Genesis text a little closely, we see that when the Lord God walks through the garden, he asks the question that 
Parents who are trying to find lost children, ask, where are you? Where are you? And then when he sees his children there trembling behind the bushes, he asks, what have you done? For you see, the Lord God is sad about what his, his children have done. It breaks his heart. And he doesn't look on them so much with wrath, but with pity and with sorrow. Look at the way the book of Hosea puts this. Hosea speaking for the Lord says, How can I let go of you, O Israel? How can I reject you, O Ephraim? I am God. I am divine, not mortal. I do not come with you in wrath. And then in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we hear these words, Do not do acts that grieve the Spirit. Not anger the Spirit. Grieve the Spirit. For, you see, it seems like when God sees us and knows us and and can tell what we are thinking and what we are about to say and what we are about to do and where we are about to go, and when we do things outside His great plan and dream for our lives, this breaks the heart of God. It saddens Him and makes Him feel pity and compassion, as we talked about last week, on his wayward children. It's like any parent who sees his or her child going off and doing something that they know is going to be harmful to them, and their heart breaks because of what their child is doing. For the longest time, I would read daily guideposts. Some of y'all may have done that or still read that. And, and it was saddening to see the, the journey that Marion Bond West was going through with her wayward son who was addicted to drugs and ending up in an ever darker place throughout his life as he made one bad choice after another, after another, after another, and how this mother's heart was broken as she continually prayed and pleaded for her son. As a district superintendent, I, I got to interact with the lives of my pastors, and one of my most talented and, and faithful pastors was dealing with the fact, even in the midst of the success of her ministry, that her son had ruined his career and was ruining his life because he had made the choice to start using illicit drugs. Another pastor was so worried and, and so concerned that his daughter had dropped out of his college and now was wanderingly, aimlessly about. And he was wondering what's going to be next for her. You see, my friends, when God sees us and knows us, before we even have a word on our mouths, our thought in our head before we flee to the highest mountain to try to escape God or go down to the depths of the sea to get away from God. God knows all about this. And in His pity and in His mercy, He extends grace and love to us. As we break the heart of God by the way we act, by what we say, by what we think, God's heart is broken too. But the good news is that God still is there pursuing us.
A phrase that I hope you'll hold on to because it's made an impact in my life is something that was on the wall of my parents' bedroom. It said this, God sees us as we can be, but loves us as we are. God sees us as we can be, but loves us as we are. I'll take out your dollar bill. You were wondering when you're going to use this thing. This is not to be your offering. (laughs) Now turn it over to the back. I mean, you see the front of old George on the front, but look at the back and and look at that symbol there on the left side of it. That's an odd looking symbol. It's kind of mysterious looking, isn't it? I mean, it's even kind of scary looking. And at the bottom is Novos. New order of the ages. Talking about this new nation, this new democracy, this new movement that is happening in, in the world, this country, the United States, when this, when this great seal was, was produced back in the latter part of the 18th century. But the words at the top are what I want you to pay attention to. Annuit Coptius. Annuit Coptius means he favors us. He favors us. This unblinking eye that is there, this mysterious looking uh, image that is on the back of our dollar bill is a sign and a symbol of God's unfailing favor on his people. Now, some would say that's the United States of America. You know, there could be some truth there. But more importantly, his favor rests upon his people, those whom he has called, those whom he has raised up, those who he has brought into this world. He favors us. He looks on us, not with an eye of wrath, but with an eye of love. You see, this eye staring at us is like that song by Ricky Valley. It's too good to be true. I what? Y'all know it. I can't take my eye off of you. That's what God is doing. That's what this psalm is about. This eye is constantly upon us. He, He looks on us with favor. He looks on us with love and grace and mercy. He is amazed by his creation. And he can't take his eye off of us. Because, you see, that's how much he loves us. And you can't escape this gaze. You can't escape uh, the loving look of the Lord upon you. As the psalmist says, I can go to the furthest depths of the sea. There he is. I can go to the highest mountain trying to get away from this love. And there's that love pursuing me. I can go down, down as far as I can go into the depths of death. That's what the the text really says there. And there your hand is upon me. Or under the darkest night. And your light will still be there shining on me. You see, my friends... There's nowhere you can go to escape the loving gaze of God and God's loving presence in your life. Even if you're not aware of it, even if you're trying to reject it, even if you are finding yourself 
enmeshed in something you should not be enmeshed in, somehow that love and grace is still there. It's just up to us to make ourselves availed to it and aware of it. And because of that, God is greatly concerned about you. Now, there are plenty of people in our country that believe in this God. But they believe in this theory that was proposed by our deist friends back in the time of George Washington and Benjamin Franklin. That God set everything in motion and set it off to do its own thing. He may see it, but he's not too concerned about it. In fact, in this day and time, around a third of Americans think that's the way God is. Even those that are in church, even those who say they believe in in God, they believe that God is not concerned about their personal lives. But that is not what the witness of Scripture says. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 49. A mother might forget her child. A a woman might forget the the, the baby that she suckled at her breast. But even if she should forget her child and her children, God says, I will not forget about you. See, I have written your name in the palm of my hand. You see, God won't forget about us. He cares about us. And whatever we're dealing with is what God is concerned about too. I I like the way that the great Catholic bishop from the late 17th century put it, Francis Fenelon. He said this, what concerns you concerns God. Isn't that good news? Whatever's on your heart and your mind right now, whatever you're wrestling with, that's of a concern to God. And I've been in this business long enough to know that someone in the pew, someone out there watching online is dealing with something. It may be a broken relationship. It may be that you're concerned about one of your children or your grandchildren going in a direction you would not have them go. It may be you have some financial pressure. You may be concerned about all that's going on with with this pandemic. But guess what? Whatever concerns you concerns God. And God longs for you to bring these things, whatever you're dealing with, before His throne of grace so that His love and His mercy might touch your life and bring healing and hope and peace to you. You see, my friends, we cannot escape this ever-present gaze of God. Look at that dollar bill again. See how that eye is unblinking? That's an unblinking gaze of God for you. When, whenever you pull out a dollar bill, I hope that you can remember it be a sign and a symbol of God's unblinking gaze of love upon you. Now, as I said, this dollar bill is yours. You can do with it as you wish. But let me offer a few suggestions. Maybe take this dollar bill and have it facing backside towards you. And every time you go by it, it's a reminder of God's unfailing gaze of love upon you. Or maybe take this dollar bill and you might see someone who's in need. You might come across somebody on the street or or somebody out in the community. 
and hand him this dollar and say this to him, God knows what you're going through. What a wonderful way to reach out. Or you may take this dollar and use it as a pump primer and add a few dollars of your own, maybe a lot of dollars if you go to the wrong coffee shop, and buy a cup of coffee for somebody that you don't even know, just as an act of grace. Or take the dollar and add it to a few other dollars and buy some material and make something for somebody, because I know some of you all are very talented and crafty. Or buy some flour and some eggs and whip up a batch of cookies using this dollar as, a, as just a down payment on all those things. And go take some cookies or brownies or something like that. To someone who could use a little cheering up. Or buy a card and write a note to someone going through a difficult time. But use a dollar in some form or fashion as a reminder of God's unblinking gaze of love at you and at this world. Now, some are saying, you know, you know, this is too good to be true, like, like the Ricky Valley song. But let me quote the man himself. Jesus said that not a sparrow falls to the ground without your heavenly father's knowledge. And then he adds this wonderful line. You're worth many, many sparrows. I've heard some of you talk about small towns around here. And some have even said Boone's a small town. Y'all don't know small towns if you think Boone's small. (laughs) And my wife grew up in a very small community in rural Alabama called Glenwood. Population 216 counting dogs. A small, a small, small community. And in that small community is this beautiful little church called the Glenwood United Methodist Church. It's where Alicia grew up. It's where we were married. It holds special meaning to us. And they had a wonderful choir. And out of that choir was a quartet that uh, were some just fabulous singers. There is Mr. Dan Jackson, Mr. Wayne Gibson. Miss Enid Falmer, and my father-in-law, Mr. Gerald Curtis. And they would go around to communities throughout uh, that part of Alabama, and they would sing at festivals and at churches, and, and people just loved them. They, were, they were, had a wonderful sound, particularly for people that were really untrained musicians. And whenever they would go sing, usually if the people were familiar with the, the group, they would say, okay, Gerald, Sing it. And everybody knew what they meant. And my father-in-law would stand up and in his beautiful tenor voice would start singing uh, these wonderful lines. Why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? Because Jesus is my portion. A constant friend is he, for his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Yes, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Because I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Why? His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. 
You know? The constant, never-blinking gaze of God is on the sparrow. And his gaze is upon you. And therefore, you can be free from all worry and fear. Because he is constantly thinking about you. His eye is on you. His gaze is upon you. And you can't escape it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.